Welcome. We're going to spend some time reading God's Word. Uh, there's a few options uh, to follow along today. If you got a pamphlet when you came in, it's actually printed in there, so feel free to follow along there. If you're using one of our church Bibles, it's on page 1048. And we're reading from Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come back, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property and with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. Um, my name's Mike Sams, if I didn't uh, meet you at the door. And a special warm welcome to any of you who are here for the first time today. It is wonderful. It's truly wonderful to uh, be able to be here uh, in our new, new venue uh, for a little while, but the new site that we are at. Um, and so a warm welcome. We trust that you have a good time with us. 
and we'd love you to um, uh, hang around for lunch, a drink, uh, or whatever. It's um, no expense or anything. Um, love you just to hang around. Uh, but what we're going to do today is spend some time reflecting on God's Word, um, but we're doing it in a new place. A new place that we started nearly three years ago over at the junior school, and the very week after our first Sunday, Jen and I got a letter saying the school was thinking about moving to one campus. So it's kind of like been a three-year journey to get to this site, and so it's kind of cool to be here. So let me pray, and then we're going to consider amazing grace. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. Uh, Father, we pray that we may consider through this story Jesus told how great your grace is. Maybe with clarity for the first time, um, but for all of us, that we can come to see how great your grace is and how it saves us. Amen. Uh, as mentioned, the booklets there, just on the uh, back seat there, um, on the, uh, what do you call those things? The reclining upward chairs. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're called. Now, I'm looking forward today to spending time with you in this passage because it's an amazing story. You could say all of the stories of the Bible are amazing, but this one, I think, has a, a special place in history it's kind of made it into popular culture. I don't know how familiar you are with God and Christian things, but you may even kind of be familiar with the prodigal son story. It may be a story that you're kind of um, relatively familiar with. But today I hope that maybe there are a few surprises as we see how clearly we understand what our God is actually like. What I want you to go away with today is absolute clarity on what grace is and what it means for you and maybe consider whether it pushes you to think does this God want me to respond to him in that there's just a few points you can see in the outline if you if that's helpful for you to follow on and we see the beginning of this story the lost son now this son he kind of reaches into his father and pulls out his heart with what he does. It is heartbreaking. I, as some of you know, I often write words incorrectly and I meant to write um, tears and I wrote tears. But I reckon that's what the father had. His son has just demanded his inheritance before he dies. Now, if we're going to admit it, you've thought about your inheritance, haven't you? Yeah, oh, there was no, gee, there was quite a lot of nods then. That was a little disconcerting, but we do. We think about it. But none of us do what this son has done. I haven't gone to my dad. Dad, you don't need your house anymore. All your kids have moved out. I've moved out. I was the first one to move out. And so you don't need all those rooms. So you just sell that one bedroom little sitter's fine for you now. You and mum can have that. Give me my money. I'm off. I may not be the greatest son all the time, but I certainly haven't done that. This son did. He wants what comes from his father, as Amanda said with the kids, as if the father's dead because he wants what he gets when he dies. He wants what the father can give without the father. And so he grabs the wealth that he can get. Amazingly, this heartbroken father gives it to him. 
With it. And when he has this wealth, he goes out on his own. Without any consideration of who's given it to him. And just as quickly, it slips away. This microphone's... There we go. Just as quickly, this wealth slips through his fingers. He's alone, he's homeless, he's feeding pigs, and he's so starving he wants to eat what they're eating. The dream of a wildly successful, happy, pleasurable life has dissipated. Like that meal you pull out of the oven and the steam comes off it and then goes away. That's how quickly his dream of success and taking what he demanded was his has gone. And then there's a moment in the passage where he comes to his senses. It's like he wakes up. Have a look with me there at verse 17 and see what he says. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He went to his father, probably practicing over and over those words, that sentiment of a broken man who's realized his problem. What do we see here in those words? I don't know if you realized this before or these words are new to you, but what you see here is the very picture of the response that a lost person needs to have before God. It's the definition of a Christianized word, repentance. Maybe you've heard of that word before? Here, in the words of this son, we see it explained for us crystal clear. What does he do? Well, firstly, he kind of has the humility to realise, I was so wrong, demanding the inheritance from my father, the one who has given me everything and then run off. I was so, what a fool I was. But he also realises the gravity of what he's done, the pain and grief, grief that he's caused. Repentance then turns back. The very heart of repentance is to be going in one direction and to turn around and go back the other way. And so apologising, saying sorry, and then he does this, though, at the mercy of the one that he's done wrong. See how the way he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son? I, I don't have anything that I can say to you, Dad, that make, I don't even have the right to call you that anymore. Repentance. That Christian word, that religious word, simply means seeing your wrongness with humility realizing the pain and grief you've caused, saying sorry and turning back, not thinking you can earn your way. Hold that there as we see the lost son and his response. Because then we get to the father. 
He's heading off to him. You see in the next point there, I've called him the prodigal father. And Amanda talked about what prodigal is. It cannot just mean reckless. It means lavishing as well. It can actually mean lavishing. And this father, he does something that's so bizarre to the ancient world and to this time. See, what would have been expected? This is quite astounding. In the ancient world, if a son did that to a father, you could expect if he comes back that he is going to be beaten, he is not going to be welcomed in and he will be kicked out never to return. That is what's to be expected in that culture, in the ancient world. But in contrast, the prodigal, lavishing father, we'll have a look at what he does in verse 20. After the son goes to the father, we see, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled for compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. And they had this spectacular feast. This father doesn't get out the stick. He puts on his running shoes. He runs out to him. He runs out to him when he's miles off. And as he runs out... He sees his son and he's so excited. The son doesn't even get to say everything. I'm so sorry. No, no, son, it's all good. It's all, we're going to have a feast. The robe's coming. You're getting the ring. You, it's all in celebration. You are back. What an astounding picture. What we see here is the definition of grace. We see it explained. Let me spell it out for you. Because I wouldn't want any of us to go away without the clarity of what grace is. You see, first of all, we saw the son cry out for mercy. And mercy is to say, um, you don't give someone that, what they deserve. So you don't give it to them. So if someone deserves a punishment, you don't give it to them. Grace includes that, but ramps it up a notch. Grace give something, someone far more than what they deserve. Grace is giving something that you have not earned, you don't deserve, actually you're in the opposite direction. And this father is giving this son a restored relationship with him. Grace is God's undeserved favour given to us. God's undeserved favour given to us. Have you heard that before? Is that not amazing? This, this prodigal story has, as I said before, seeped into culture and there's, there's been stories that have reflected this. And there's one story that has been told many times, you may be familiar uh, with this story, but as, as the story um, goes of this son, um, in modern day, um, I'm not sure where, but unfortunately got caught up in drugs. Got way, way down the path of drug addiction with our friends. And so the way you keep going with drugs is you have to steal money so you can get the drugs and the cycle begins. So stole a little bit out of the parent's wallet, 
spent a little bit more money and just escalated and escalated to the point where he's pretty much ripped the savings out of his family. Life got so bad, so destructive, a life, some time in prison was needed. And like the son in this story, in prison, he woke up and came to his senses. How wrong he was. And so he wrote a letter to his parents. He did what I've explained just earlier about repentance in his words of, I'm such a fool. I've caused you so much pain and grief. I ask for forgiveness knowing I don't deserve it. I want to come back, but I don't even have any right to claim that I should come back. And so he came up with a plan. don't know if you've heard this. He said, when I get out, when I get near the house, I'll look in my window, bedroom window, and if there is a white cloth in my bedroom window, I will see that you're welcoming me back. Well, he gets out of prison. He gets to the street, walks around, and as he sees his house, he does not see a cloth in the window. Why? Because the whole house is wrapped in white sheets. That's powerful. Why is it powerful? Because I think what we're seeing is the power of forgiving grace, of love that actually forgives. Love that goes beyond just being based on, well, you do something for me, so I'll love you. Why is this so powerful? Friends, this is our God. The true one living God, the one telling the story, Jesus God become flesh longs for you, every single person in this room, to have a relationship with you. He longs to forgive if you come back to him. He longs to forgive a world that has just taken from him the giver, the creator of all, and give you a relationship with him. Is this not truly amazing that we deserve actually condemnation but he longs for us to live in grace we purposely sung that classic old hymn today amazing grace it's familiar that song has also made it into uh, popular culture although i think it's being lost a little bit more and more these days It's made it because it's nice and it sounds good and you can say it's got nice sentiment to it, but it's no sentiment, is it? When you see those words and understand the grace that it's talking about. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. 
I have been set free. We have a gracious, loving Father who wants to welcome you as his children. You know, uh, one of Jesus' closest uh, friends, John the Apostle, he wrote some of the books in the Bible and in his letter 1 John, he talks about this very lovishing love of God. It's up there on the screen. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He's talking to those who have accepted grace, to Jesus' followers, and he's saying, it's not just God's given you this nice little thing that you can include with all your other nice little things. He's saying it is lavished upon you. See, lots of things are amazing, and we use that word a lot, right? I don't know, some of you, that's one of your go-to words, oh, that was amazing, and you're talking about a cup of coffee. That was amazing, and you've just had the best meal of your life until the next meal, and that was amazing. Uh, My dad's out there listening, that's what dad does at every meal. Oh, that was amazing. It doesn't matter if it was a five-course meal or if it was McDonald's. It was amazing. I think this thing in my pocket is amazing. I've been an Apple iPhone person for a long time and my phone died and I needed a new one and I went to the Google Pixel and it's a bit of a stretch to say I'm in love, but I am amazed. I don't really like technology, but I've just been amazed how impressive this thing is. Look, I just do that and it turns on. It's phenomenal. I will probably rant about it for a little while, so I apologise for that when you see me. They're amazing. We use that word. And the problem that we use amazing for that word is we we kind of lessen it when we talk about what's actually truly, profoundly, deeply, beyond all imagination, amazing. God and his loving grace for us. He has lavished his love on us. That can stay up there, that verse, as we continue to think. See, don't think that this was easy him. Think about the father in the story. How angry he would have been. How heartbroken. And then to see his son. What does it take? What does it take? The ability for him to take onto himself. In some ways absorb the pain that was given to him. That's what that father's done when his son's come back. Our God extraordinarily is like that. Jesus is telling this story after reading the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. What does he do in chapter 9? He, it says he sets his face to Jerusalem, where he is now single mindedly going to the cross. Jesus is heading to the place where he will be betrayed where he'll be rejected, where he'll be beaten, where he'll be falsely tried, and then on the cross he'll face God's righteous right wrath for what we have done. And he does it willingly because he wants to lavish his love on us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That is what he has done. Can you see how this isn't a God that we can just put to the side and move on? But the problem we have with this story as we're getting nearer to the end is often it's just about the first son and the dad. And, and, but there's another son. 
And I suspect that maybe this son actually is even more relevant for some of us. I call this son the unaware son. See, he was at home. He was there. Look at verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out, uh, called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. I, I imagine as he heard, killed the fattened calf, the anger boiling in him, because that's so significant. And so we read in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now this is an amazing little reflection that we can have on this son and how his father interacts with him. You see, Jesus, this story is so clever. We're only just touching the surface of just how extraordinary this, uh, this story is. But back in chapter, uh, the verse 1, the beginning of this chapter, Jesus, uh, we find out that Jesus is talking to Pharisees and tax collectors. And there's three stories. We're just looking at one. And, in, and the Pharisees, they're kind of like the rulers of God's people. They, they, they would consider themselves the high and mighty, the good ones. Right? These are the good ones. And Jesus is speaking to the ones that are in the house, if you like. The good ones. And he talks about this son. It's very clever. It's like, okay, Pharisees, let's have a look at this guy. The older son is bitter. He's angry. It's like, I could just imagine him stamping his foot. I'm not going in there. If he's in there, I've been here all the time. And so the father goes out. What we see is this brother had a problem that he was unaware of that was always there under the surface. Uh, having a, a house now where I've got a massive lawn to look after, um, I realise there are many creepy crawly things that can be under the surface that can come up and eat your lawn and kill it. But you don't realise they're there, they're underneath in the soil and they come up and they kill your grass. But you don't know they're there. But they're there. This son's problem. Is that, a, is that an illustration of me getting old talking about grass? It is, isn't it? Okay. But it works. Because this son, under the surface had a problem that he was unaware of. See, he was unaware that he was just as lost as his brother. And I think we could say that this unaware son, in many ways, is, for many, the everyday Aussie. That is, this story doesn't seem that important because we don't see that there's a problem. We're unaware of the problem. We're ignorant of it. We're apathetic to it. We're a good person. We've done stuff. Oh, we, we come to church sometimes, um, <coughs> maybe go to the, the Christmas celebrations and things like that, but we're unaware of how deep the problem is. I suspect that's why. That's why many people in our surrounds and suburbs don't go to church on Sunday, don't think about God, because they're not aware that there's a problem. They don't think there is a problem. Like this son. And the danger of this story is that we could see, well, isn't it great that others who need hope can be found? It's good for them that when they were so lost, their life was so messed up, and in Jesus they found him. It's so great, it's so good. All the while, in our contentment, 
our good life, being satisfied, being a top bloke, not seeing that this story is for every single human, for all of us. The unaware son really speaks to us. Is that you? Let me ask you, are you lost or are you found? See, you can be lost whether you're running yourself into ruin away from God or you can be lost living the good life or somewhere in between where sometimes you run into stupidity and you come back and be a good person and then you live the good life. You seek to live the good life, but for whatever reason, things outside your control, things fall apart and you just struggle. Jesus is saying, you know what? You're not alone. It's a human problem. We deserve condemnation. But can you see how amazing this God is. His grace, His love. You do nothing. See, God doesn't cover a house with a white cloth. Nor does He just run out and give His son a hug and throw a party. He willingly puts himself on a cross and bleeds for you and I. And before he dies, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Friends, Every Sunday, this place will be where we reflect on this God in all the different beautiful ways that God's Word shows us. We'd love you all to join us and keep coming, whether you're here for the first time or whether you're here every week. But today, don't go away thinking you don't have a problem and ignoring this extraordinary grace that God has given us. If you've realised you want this grace, you don't be fooled into thinking, well, what, what are all the things I've got to do now to get in? Because we've just seen, you just acknowledge what that first son did. Acknowledge you're wrong. Come genuinely saying sorry, turning back to God not on your own terms, and living for Him. And know that those words of being a children of God with lavish love are yours into all eternity. Whether you've never come to church in your life or whether you dabble or whether you come every week but you realise you're a bit like that unaware son, God is calling you today to see how great His grace is for you.
we'd love to help you uh, wrestle with this more. If you're still not sure, that's why we're here. If you've got any questions, you can put them on the communication cards. As Jack said, you can come and tackle me after and uh, have lunch with me and, I'll, uh, and, 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 and chat about all your questions. I'd love to do that. Keep coming back next week. We're going back to grace again next week in a different passage of the Bible. Um, and, and we'd love to have you keep wrestling with this, if that's you. Especially if you love Jesus. For all of us, be encouraged and remember this grace and never leave it behind. The way we're going to finish today is we're going to pray with a song. If, uh, can I get the words of the next song up on the screen? We're going to sing this song, a reflective song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And it goes on to say, how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. By that saying, God, the father actually pours his wrath onto Jesus at the cross. As wounds which mar the chosen ones bring many sons to glory. The band's going to come up now. And if you realise that grace is yours, uh, sing with us as we consider how deep his love is for us.